We are Missouri Farm Bureau Insurance, and we're for the people of Missouri. We're for brewmasters, stockbrokers, beauty queens, and truck drivers. Whatever you do, if you're a Missourian, we're for you. We are Missouri Farm Bureau Insurance, and we've got Missouri covered. Welcome into Sports Radio 810 WHB. I am Sterling Holmes as we have a fun, interesting show for you. We'll be doing a live show until about 10 o'clock. Got some fun guests, including Tucker Franklin of Casey Sports Network. We'll be joined by Jordan Foote of Arrowhead Report. We'll also be joined by David Lesky inside the crown, talking Royals, baseball, and much, much more. So a lot of fun talking a lot of sports with these guys, but we will also be throwing to the baseball games if and when they're interesting. We'll be giving you a lot of baseball updates as they come in. Again, we will throw to the Phillies and Marlins later on this evening as well. I'm Sterling Holmes. Kyle is behind the glass. Kyle, how are you? I'm ready to get going. Let's party. You want to party? I called all the guys already. I called Lesky. I called Foot. Called Tucker. I said, hey, boys, the games are interesting. We're throwing to the games, and we're going to party. Speaking of that, I told Curtis. Curtis is back here. He's still working. He's a, he's a hardworking man. Curtis Seabold yeah, never sleeps. Evening, yeah. This dude is a grinder. First one in, last one out. Always takes his lunch pail to work. Coach's kid. Kay's out here getting it. But I asked him. And he swayed me. I said, should I go to the Mizzou Tigers football game on Saturday as they host LSU? He said, what's the worst that happens? Mizzou gets blown out, and a week from now, you don't even care. He then said, life is all about experiences. And I'm sitting here like, Curtis is just this wealth of wisdom back here. I was about to just start sitting cross-legged down there and start taking notes. I feel like I was back in school. So I do think he swayed me. At first, it sounded like it was a classic Mizzou fan response. What's the worst that can happen? But he actually threw some knowledge. Some knowledge. He cracked an egg of knowledge on my dome. Okay, that's what happened. He's just... Okay? I think I'm going to go now. A Seabolt fortune. There you go. It was a Seabolt fortune. And maybe, who knows, Mizzou might win. But I got a free ticket. Okay, If you get a free ticket, sometimes you might have to make that happen. Uh, Going around Major League Baseball right now, the Texas Rangers. Texas Rangers went up and won this series 2-0. Petra just texted me and said, first, that's my line. What line? Crack an egg of knowledge? Crack an egg of knowledge. Petrol, I, I can guarantee you that's not your line. Okay? All right. But the Rangers won the series as they won 7-1 to over the Tampa Bay Rays. Man, the, the Devil Rays jerseys look so good. They didn't look good in the field. Yesterday's fielding display from the Rays was beyond atrocious. The bats never got going. 
Playoff Randy Rosarena is still a thing, but the Rangers were too much. How do you get blanked? How do you get shut down by Jordan Montgomery? How does Jordan Mont? I get Nathan Evaldi. And by the way, can we talk about the manager job from the Rays in that game? Game one. I'm fixated on this because I don't know if I've ever seen such a blatant disregard for what is actually going on in the game. Tyler Glasnow clearly does not have it. Walking dudes left and right. He's been perpetually injured. I love Glasnow. Thank you to him for helping my fantasy baseball team. Gets a lot of strikeouts. But do you trust him to go and throw 100 pitches game in and game out? I get it's the playoffs. But if you start seeing him start to struggle, start to miss curveballs way up in the zone, start to airmail fastballs like he's Rick Ankeel over his catcher, hey, maybe pull the guy. He gets the bases loaded, gets extremely lucky, gets out of the inning. And what do the Rays decide to do? Do they turn to that bullpen that's incredible and goes, I don't know, 10 dudes deep? A plethora of great talent in the bullpen? No, no, no. Have Glasnow go back out there. Have him proceed to walk the next two batters, then get pulled. Now, Kyle, take a random guess here. Do you think those two batters scored? I'm willing to bet they did. Yeah, of course they did. That's how it happens. And the Rays are now out. They are done. I just, Rays fans, I feel bad for all seven of them. How can a team be so, so consistently solid? I get the stadium. I get St. Petersburg. I get it's a nightmare to get to. All of these things. I get it's a day game. 19,000 fans for a playoff game? Come on. Come on. Something needs to change, because that's, that's a damn good team. Rangers moving on. Congratulations to them. Uh, Minnesota breaking a 20-plus year streak. They finally broke the streak of not winning in the playoffs, right? They broke that yesterday over uh, the Toronto Blue Jays. And then they moved on as they blanked the Blue Jays 2 to nothing this afternoon. I love playoff baseball, and I also love how much... How much each pitch and each run scores scored means more. Now I understand that what you're what you're saying, Sterling. Of course, each run matters. It's the playoffs. Of course, each run means more. I mean the actual scoring numbers. If you're a better, you better be ripping these unders. Don't take my betting advice, by the way, because I said the Rays were going to win the World Series this year. So you better fade me, fade me hard. But the unders for your for, have been hitting, and and the point is, you saw it with the Kansas City Royals. And you've seen it this playoffs already. I typically hate small ball. But in the playoffs, it seemingly seems like a decent recipe for success. Milwaukee leads Arizona 2-0 right now. Was it two solo home runs? Was it a two-run shot? Was it a walk and a home run? With small ball. I know it's an interesting model of how the regular season is its own thing. Then you get to the playoffs, and it almost reverts back to baseball in the 1930s. Yeah, you better be fundamentally sound. It's the dead ball era. You got oil can Boyd out there throwing the ball. Honus Wagner. 
What's Walter Johnson up to? Is he going to throw a fastball and see if a motorcycle can catch up to it? And look at that story. That's a good one. But the point is, I'm a huge fan of the Phillies. I think the Phillies win. I, I had them facing, I believe I had them facing the Rays in the World Series. But they're an interesting microcosm of this argument here. Because their entire team is not built around small ball. Kyle Schwarber hit, what was it, 47 bombs this year? 47 home runs, 104 RBIs. And folks are asking if he's basically a replacement level player because he batted a buck 97. And he's awful in the field. <laughs> Remember when he used to catch? It's even better. Yeah. It's even better. It's Mike Sweeney back there. I'll take those numbers from MJ Melendez. Maybe not the a buck 90. Is that what you said? Buck 97. Come Ooh. on. Come on now. Don't don't short them. That that buck ninety seven really makes a difference. But again, that works in the regular season in a hundred and sixty two game sample size, in a three game sample size, five game, seven game. If you're cold, that power's not there. What are you providing? That's why I find playoff baseball so interesting, and again, why I find myself when I try and do these things, which is why I went with the Rays. Because I'm an idiot, going with teams that put the ball in play, going with teams that have great starting pitchers, teams that have great bullpens. The power's great. Don't get me wrong. But give me the guys with bat to ball skills. That to me will translate more in a smaller sample size than hoping Schwarber goes one of 10 with the home run. All right, we'll take a quick break. We're going to come back. We're going to be joined by Tucker Franklin of KC Sports Network. Home stretch right here, Sports Radio 810 WHB. Welcome again to Sports Radio 810 WHB. Sterling Holmes with you as we do a live show with Major League Baseball updates right now. Aaron Nola is dealing, just struck out Josh Bell as the Phillies and Marlins will now head to the bottom of the first. And in the other game that's currently going on, Diamondbacks and Brewers, Freddie Peralta is dealing in that one. Five strikeouts, one walk, no hits through four innings, only thrown 49 pitches. Brewers lead Diamondbacks two to nothing. But now we are joined by Tucker Franklin of KC Sports Network. Tucker, how you doing? Really, I'm doing a whole lot better now. I just heard your sultry voice. Uh, oh, very sultry. excited to be on with you tonight. i got to ask you something here, Tucker. Uh, if you think you would have told a Royals fan back in the day that Carlos Santana would be batting third in a 2023 playoff game, what would you what would you think? Oh, my gosh. Um Wow, uh, you caught me off guard with that one. That one is that one truly uh, kind of floored me. I, I think that they that their reaction will be the same as mine was right now. Yeah, uh, Carlos Santana batting third in a playoff game for the Milwaukee Brewers. Uh, what do you think he did this year? How, how do you think he hit? I'm 
Sterling, I didn't do a very good job keeping up with the KNC Royals after the trade deadline. If you think I did a really good job keeping up with uh, Carlos Santana after the Th- This uh, is my point here. Just just bear with me, Tucker. Bear, this is my point. If you all of a sudden would have said, yeah, Carlos Santana hit 23 home runs, OPS 747, and he's 37 years old, batting third in a playoff game, you would be just as astounded as I am, a man who loves baseball, who follows baseball very closely. Uh, yeah. I am shocked, but I didn't bring you on to talk about Carlos Santana unless you wanted to talk about the song Smooth. Uh, I mean, that is a really good song, and Carlos Santana is a very good uh, musician. But no, we're going to talk some Chiefs with you, okay? Does that work for you? Maybe a little Mizzou as well. Yeah, that, that works. I'll allow that. I'll allow some Chiefs talk, and I will definitely allow some Mizzou talk at this time of uh, this, this state of the night. All right, so where are you at in regards to the Chiefs wide receiver room? This has been the big topic. I've been asked this a lot. Folks are freaking out. Folks are saying, don't panic. It's been four games. I'm somewhere in the middle. I'm here sitting saying, how could you be so enthusiastic about the Chiefs wide receiver room during OTA's training camp preseason saying the Chiefs could keep seven, even eight wide receivers. Now you play four games and you're sitting here saying yeah just just tear it all down they're all a bunch of bums all a bunch of busts go trade for anyone else i feel like that's a little bit too uh too dramatic on the other side i think it's definitely fair to say hey they look better in otas training camp in preseason now they're playing in actual regular season games uh they're not getting separation either that or they're not look uh, getting the looks that they should from patrick mahomes they're they don't have the same trust there where do you lie in regards to the chiefs wide receiver room yeah i think coming into the season i wasn't too wildly high on the receiver room to begin with i know Sterling, we, you and i had a lot of conversations about uh, potential wide receivers that could go out and get, and they didn't go out and get a guy like uh, DeAndre Hopkins, who was uh, really wildly rumored to the Chiefs, and he ends up signing a deal with uh, with Tennessee. Seems to be doing fine, just fine down there. Chiefs don't get a guy like that because they feel like they got some confidence in in the guys that they had in the room. I do think that you know it's 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 easy to have hindsight now and look back and say, oh well, the Chiefs obviously needed to add somebody in replacement of Juju Smith-Schuster. Uh, but I feel like, Sterling, especially with you and I, we were having that conversation already. Um, I do think that you got to give a little bit of grace uh, to this wide receiver room. As, as you mentioned, they did look better in OTAs. They looked better in training camp. They looked better in preseason. Only because they were going against guys that were twos and threes in the preseason. And it's okay. We can admit that. Um, things just haven't looked right. And I think maybe Travis Kelsey being injured that first week might have thrown some things off as well. Uh, it obviously throws some things off in the game, but even maybe within the wide receiver room, some of the timings and everything like that is a little thrown off with not with Travis Kelsey not being in there. Um, uh, uh, the wide receiver room is a very interesting uh, this topic to talk about because it's one of those things where I don't want it to turn into, and I don't think it will, to Aaron Rodgers' tenure in Green Bay where uh, the, he's always wanting a weapon. He wants them to draft a weapon in the first round. He wants them to go out and get a guy, but they but they never do it. I don't think that's going to happen. But I don't think that they should go out and spend a bunch of big money for a, a Tyree Kill, let's say. We'll just use his name for an example. Um, I don't know. no reason that I would bring his name up. But uh, let, let's use Tyree Kill for an example. I don't think they should go out and pay big money to a wide receiver like that. So they're going to be somewhere in the middle of paying big money and not wanting and trying to maximize the value of what they have, and they're really towing the line as best they can of of saying, okay, 
what wide receivers can we put in this room and still have a, a a shot to win the Super Bowl, a shot to be the leaders in the in the AFC? And certainly, I think it's funny. I think it's funny we're having this conversation, obviously, through four weeks in the NFL season. But Chiefs are the leaders in the AFC. And if you would have hopped on the old Twitter machine <laughs> on the Monday morning after the Chiefs were the uh, the AFC leaders after dropping their Week One game. You would have thought they lost by twenty points. Oh, Tucker! People are people are concerned. They're concerned about the wide receiver room, and I get it. I get the concern. Tucker, I I am so glad you brought that up because after the game, I was doing a little post game show, and I'm sitting here going, "You would have thought the Chiefs lost this game by by thirty points." You don't apologize for winning ugly. Did the Patriots blow every single team out when they're on that sustained run of dominance? How many times through four or five weeks did you see on ESPN, Patriots dynasty is over? Is Tom Brady washed up? You, you saw that for what? Yep. Two decades? I mean, it's absurd. I, yep. I, I understand we're in this, we're in this era of Chiefs football where you have and are so used to Mahomes doing everything game in and game out that you're not used to seeing him have bad games. I mean, this game for Mahomes reminded me of the AFC Championship game against the Bengals when it looked like he was just bewildered out there. He was flustered, right, in that second half of that game. He looked like that, in my opinion, this game as well. But you also got to look around the NFL. Take a quick step back. Josh Allen looks like that once every four games. Like he look, Josh Allen once every four games looks like he drops acid and goes out and plays football. Then you look around and say, Tua Tagovailoa. After th- three weeks, everyone was saying, "Well, he's the MVP," and then they lose to the Bills, and now people are saying, "Well, were they frauds?" Like it's just the one game sample size where if you have one great game, you're the greatest. You have one bad game, you're a bum. As you mentioned, the Chiefs lead the AFC. It's okay. They will figure this out. The Chiefs spent so many resources on the defensive side of the ball. What did the Patriots do yeah. with Tom Brady? I want to get your thoughts here because I find that, I find this a very fascinating conversation. I, I always said that the Patriots did Tom Brady uh, a lot of a lot of help. They gave him a lot of help by not giving him great wide receivers, spending money there, but spending money on the defense, so he was not forced to go out and try and put up thirty-five points a game to win. I wonder if the Chiefs are doing right. something similar, trying to rebuild this defense because Mahomes can make wide receivers better. He can't make the defense better. Yeah, uh, that's true. And uh, wide receivers can develop too. Uh, I think a lot of uh, the biggest gripe right now is we went into the season kind of expecting career years from like three or four different guys. I don't think that's the spot you want to be in as an offensive unit. And now, and I don't, and, and Patrick Mahomes can make a lot of things better, but I don't want to get to a spot where. Um, and then I don't think the front office will do this where they get complacent in the fact of like, oh. Mahomes will just make it better. Mahomes is a bandit. He can make it better. Uh, but I do I do think that theory is interesting, Sterling, when you talk about they are hoping Mahomes on the defensive side of the ball as the defense has been purely dominant. I don't know. Sterling, I don't know if you remember a conversation we had early July, maybe even uh, – I think it was early July where I was saying, that like, hey, I think this defense could be top five. When you start to look on the paper, and that was before the Charles Menehue suspension came down, and they've been a pretty salty unit. Uh, so far this year, holding uh, holding a couple teams that we thought were going to be pretty good to uh, to some to some low points and low scoring there, and even against the Lions, they allow 14 points against them. The one they score 21, and that coming from a pick six. So I mean, the defense has been playing well. I don't think there's been any grudge from the defense, especially from uh, a unit that we traditionally don't expect much from until Halloween, and we're seeing a whole lot from them right now. So I think that's a that's a testament to. 
the development there on that side of the ball. But you just want to see the development on the other side of the ball, right? With Patrick Mahomes with the receivers, you want to see Sky Moore um, take a leap in year two. And he's seemingly struggling to get open, struggling to uh, catch targets. He only had two targets. He had one catch, maybe two draw, uh, a drop on on, uh, on Sunday's game against the Jets. It, it's one of those things where you just want to see more development. Rasheed Rice has been has been good. He's going to drop the football. Sterling, I mean, we know that. That's something that we came into the season knowing, and that was something that he had issues with in college. It's not like a, uh, all of a sudden this is happening out of nowhere. So we know that. I just I feel like there just needs to be one more guy that can take some attention away from Travis Kelsey. Mm-hmm. Um, and NVS sometimes had been that for the, for the Chiefs, and Juju Smith was definitely that last year when it came to the playoffs and that stretch run there that they had. Juju Smith was playing very well. So I think it's going to be really interesting to see what they do when the trade deadline approaches if they do feel like they need to go get a wide receiver. But as you mentioned, they're keeping seven guys like active. But like seven wide receivers active on game days. Montreal Washington returning kicks. Justin Austin getting a whole lot of run. So, I mean, it's, it's an interesting situation what they're doing with the wide receivers. Could it be a case of maybe Andy's being a little coy with the play calling? Possibly. Um, I I looked over at Ken Swanson when we were watching the game uh, on Sunday, and I said, oh, they're just really going to run the most vanilla plays ever. They've been pretty diverse in the run game, but their passing plays haven't been too extravagant. Like, they're not running anything crazy, and maybe that's a part of it too. But you'd like to see them execute the the vanilla stuff well before you move on to the the crazy and extravagant stuff. And I haven't really even talked about Darius Tony, where everyone was expecting him to take a huge jump and have a career year and stay healthy. Well, Tucker, we should have realized, Tucker, his last name is Tony, and what gets banged up? It's his toe and his knee. The the writing was on the wall. You put your tinfoil hats on, and if we would have saw it clearly, opened up the third eye up there, we would have been able to see it. I mean... That's, I think that that's kind of the spot where uh, us as Chiefs fans got into is like uh, you step back and you look from, from hindsight. Now, you have hindsight to your, as your benefit. You're seeing that you were banking on three or four guys to have career years, and that's not really where you want to be as an offense uh, with, with Patrick Mahomes as your quarterback. I understand that Patrick Mahomes is the best football player on the planet. I understand that he can make players around him better, and I can understand that he makes plays maybe not put so much pressure on him to make these plays when he has to. I don't know. I, I'm a, I am a little concerned about the wide receiver room, uh, Sterling, if you couldn't tell by my uh, little rambling stuff. Uh, Tucker Franklin joining us right here at Sports Radio 810 WHB. Brewers right now leading the Diamondbacks 2 to nothing. Uh, as again, the Phillies and Marlins are tied 0-0 in the top of the second inning. Well, what I found a little interesting in that game one of the most effective plays was when they were running 12 personnel with Kelsey and Noah Gray on the field at the same time, uh, sprung Noah Gray open, and he ended up scoring a very easy touchdown. Earlier on in the season when they were playing, I want to say it was Jacksonville, the offense was sputtering. They went to 13 personnel, and that led to a huge pass interference call against Justin Watson. Do you think with the wide receivers struggling to either get A, separation, or B, the trust of Mahomes, we might start seeing a little more 12 and 13 personnel? I think so, and I think that makes sense, too, because they've been running the ball pretty well. Um, so if you, you're you already going to go in these running formations, Patrick Mahomes can make things happen. Uh, maybe we see some more play action. That could be a little bit more into the repertoire, I believe. Uh, if I remember correctly, that touchdown pass was off of play action uh, to Noah Gray. 
if it wasn't, um, then they were in a very uh, run-heavy package when it when it came to it comes to it. Uh, Chase Daniel broke down that play on our uh, YouTube channel. You can go check that out at KC Sports Network on YouTube. But it's a very interesting. Uh, I like that concept a lot because as you see in there, Kelsey draws Noah Gray's man down. Like when he runs that in and out route, that whip route, whatever you want to call it. I mean, that different coaches have different vernacular for it. Uh, but he fakes like he's going in inside to the interior of the defense, and he goes back out. You see Noah guys. Noah Gray's guy come down and say, hey, I've got to respect Travis Kelsey right here. I don't want him to get these quick, easy uh, five yards right here because I think he was at the six. He comes down, Patrick Holmes finds Noah Gray wide open. So I think there's a lot of concepts they can do like that, uh, maybe some minimal, very minimal passing um, passing route concepts like that and, and running the football too because their running game is really coming to their own. I've been really impressed with Isaiah Pacheco. The offensive line run blocking has been better than their pass blocking has been. And uh, I, I think that that's kind of how the Chiefs are going to do it is they've got to get these guys more comfortable. So they're probably going to go back to the basics a little bit more. Um, I really want to see the, the offense just take what the defense has given them because they're either going to man up on them or they're going to play these zone concepts, make the zone man combo concepts that, that will uh, try to, to limit these receivers' ability to get open. Uh, and, and I think I want to see just – Mahomes take what uh, take what's given and kind of build the build the confidence of these wide receivers too because I think that's a big thing. I think there's a lot of pressure on these guys. They can just build their confidence week after week, taking the easy stuff, taking the short stuff, allowing them to get the yards after the catch. I think that's going to help them a whole lot moving forward. Yeah, and that's what I find so interesting is how much of it is guys aren't getting open or also Mahomes is trying to force the ball down the field maybe a little bit too much. Uh, I'm looking here right now. Mahomes has only been sacked. Uh, two times this entire season, yet he holds onto the ball the third longest of any quarterback in the NFL. One, we know he's very good at avoiding pressure, but two, that tells me he's trying to push the ball down the field. What I found very effective in this game was actually the screen pass. Some of those swing passes out to Isaiah Pacheco. You know, he had three receptions for 43 yards. I wonder if they could be even more effective and how much of this is on Mahomes trying to make the big play instead of trying to make the check down smart play. I know it's not as fun. I know it's not as flashy, but it might be what the Chiefs need to do to get his offense going at this point. Absolutely, and I think it's one of those uh, one of those things where it's a, it's a confidence thing. I, I really do think so, and, and the run can help the pass. I don't want to sound like an old head football coach, right, Sterling? Um, the run really does complement the pass. You get the guys loading up the box, and if they have the successful run game. They're going to put guys in the box, especially the Minnesota Vikings. They're going to throw guys in the box to try to stop Isaiah Pacheco. That's going to open up more opportunities for these wide receivers. You can open the screen passes. They're going to be selling out to sell the run to, to get the run. They're going to try to be pressure on Patrick Mahomes because these tackles have not had the best of year. Let's just say it how it is. The offensive line has not had the best of year when it comes to a lot of the aspects of it. You're graded wise, do what you want to well with PFF grades, but. They've not been graded very well through the first four weeks of the NFL season. I think the eye test shows you a little bit more on the run-blocking side of things uh, than what the PFF grade says. But I do think that getting the running backs, like, like we saw last year, Sterling, you talk about, you know, they did struggle getting receivers going last year. They really did. Juju Smith-Schuster took a while. Probably took nine weeks for Juju Smith-Schuster. Juju, trying to say his name fast. Holy cow. <laughs> three times. Come on, Tucker, Juju. three times. Juju Smith-Schuster. You look at his game logs, like it didn't take the, it took until like week nine, and then they got Jarek McKinnon going. They got the running backs going in the receiving game. That's going to be maybe a big thing that they're going to have to do is get Jarek McKinnon going, get the, get that running back passing game going up a little bit more because, uh, listen, Sterling, 
Uh, the other day, I was watching Clyde Edwards-Alaire LSU highlights, and I said, where is this man? Where is Clyde Edwards- LSU Clyde Edwards-Alaire? Because he is fun to watch. And I, I can remember us having this conversation. We had this conversation for several years about Clyde Edwards-Alaire wanting to get him more involved in the passing game because he was fun at LSU with Joe Burrow slinging that thing to him and being able to take it. Uh, to the house and, and make people miss, but man, I think that maybe that's a part of it is just is just being able to have the run game complement the pass game, and it's going to be a confidence thing for this wide receiver room because they, they're they're a bunch of young guys. I mean, it's it's a bunch of young guys in MBS. That's that's what it is. There, and MBS has not been able to find opportunities to get open and and and, and get some passes from from Mahomes this year. I would have liked liked to see a little bit more from him, but I mean, I, it's a long it's a long long season. I think they're going to be they're going to be fine for the most part. They've got to get uh, confidence with these wide receivers uh, in just taking the short stuff. And, and you're right. And I think Patrick Mahomes even mentioned it in his press conference on uh, on Wednesday where he was talking about just he's got to make better decisions. He's trying to force the ball into places where maybe he shouldn't force the ball into because he wants to get that confidence. He wants to get that momentum going. And it makes sense. It makes sense. I, I totally understand where he's coming from in that regard. But uh, yeah, very uh, very. Uh, Lackluster start for the wide receiver room this season. Tucker Franklin joining us right here at Sports Radio 810 WHB. Alec Thomas for the Diamondbacks just hit a home run in the top of the fifth to cut that lead to only one. Brewers lead 2-1 over the Diamondbacks as we head to the bottom of the fifth inning. Phillies in Miami right now are in the bottom of the second as uh, JT Romuto just hit a double, only one out in that game. Uh, in regards to the Chiefs' offensive line, we have talked about it. I, I want to bring up more specifically Jawan Taylor because I had my concerns when they signed him. That's a large contract for a dude who's not Lane Johnson. And he ain't even playing half like Lane Johnson right now. Now I understand folks are going to sit here and say, "Hey, well the you know the the pass blocking win numbers are looking pretty good for Juwan if you just take the penalties away." Well, guess what? You can't just take the penalties away. That is part of the equation, especially as an offensive lineman. And then if you want to point out and say that referees have a closer eye on him than other folks, and that they weren't throwing the flag when he was in Jacksonville, sure, I agree. Doesn't mean that those flags still aren't getting thrown, and doesn't mean that it's still not penalizing the Kansas City Chiefs overall. What does Jawan Taylor need to do? Is he a little bit almost in his head right now? How does this get fixed? Because this is not a one year and done. This isn't Donovan Smith where you can get out of the contract. This is something that's going to be the right side of Kansas City's offensive line for the foreseeable future. It's almost like uh, you saw this week... uh, Stick with me here, Sterling. I'll, I'll I'll make my way back to this point. You saw earlier. You saw earlier this week. Uh, Jimmy Butler show up with his haircut. Oh, it was great, right? dude. It looked like uh, me when I was twelve. It was awesome. Right. It, it, and and some people were saying, oh, Jimmy Butler. It's just a phase for Jimmy Butler. Show up to the practice the next day with a normal haircut on. His normal normal haircut. Um, I think this is just a phase for Juwan Taylor. Because I do think that there is something to having a watchful eye on you all the time, nitpicking your alignment, your every move. That can get in your head a little bit. Uh, I, I definitely understand how that can how that can mess with you a little bit. And then you you go back to his game against the New York Jets last week. Probably he didn't get flagged for uh, any of those. Uh, Alignment issues, any of those false starts, none of the, none of those flags. But 
probably his worst game as a Kansas City Chief so far. Uh, when you talk about uh, he didn't have other penalties, he had holding that face mask in the end zone that obviously resulted into a uh, into safety. Just didn't look as good as as he had in the previous weeks, even on the, on the uh, the pass blocking side. But I do think it's one of those things that he's working through right now, and I don't think that this is Jawan Taylor. I don't think that these first four games that we have seen of Jawan Taylor in Kansas City is Jawan Taylor. Yeah, uh, and let's I hope think not. That we can be easy to cast. Yeah, I, right. You hope not, but I really don't think so because it can be easy to just take like look at that and just cast judgment on it like that. But I. I, I just have to think a combination of factors with the officials, the refereeing, everything like that, uh, and just being in his own head about kind of the way that he's been been officiated and and performing so far this year can definitely mess with the guy. And because he looks a lot, he looks a lot better. I mean, he's he's a quick guy. He it's very fun. I, I really enjoy watching him block Sterling. Like he moves so fluid and so clean like his movement is so good and you can kind of tell when he's thinking about okay maybe i have to wait a half a tick more because i don't want to be flagged for a false start here because i'm doing what i've been doing my whole career but now it's an issue i can see that going through i want to make excuses to the guy obviously he's got to play better but i i I can definitely see how those issues can translate onto uh on on, onto what's going on on what you're seeing on on sundays and and Donovan Smith on the other side of the on the other side of the the, the tackle room, I guess you could say, uh, hasn't been playing particularly well either. Uh, both of those guys, I mean, Juwan Taylor's not giving up as much pressure as Donovan Smith was or has been, but uh, he just has a heavy punch. I talked to Jeff Allen about this during uh, training camp. Is he 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 loves to throw his hands. If you watch Juwan or not Juwan Taylor, Donovan Smith. Block from the left side. He loves to throw his hands. He's a very physical guy, and he loves to get hands on. So he throws those hands out there, but sometimes he overextends himself, and that leaves him susceptible to inside pressure. I think we see that a whole lot, especially when you see a lot of the pressures he's given up are inside pressure, inside moves, where he's throwing his hands, and defensive linemen are just countering it. And I think that uh, that's uh, something that can easily be fixed right within within his game, but. Uh, I do think that the, the tackle issues are fixable. I don't think that it's to the point of like where it's um, like the wide receiver room. I personally feel like you might have to go out of house to fix that issue. You can't do it in house. I think you can clearly fix this issue in house. I think it's just going to be an adjustment period. Um, hopefully, in these next four games, this next quarter of the season, we see a little bit of improvement here. Uh, that's what I want to see. That's kind of what I'm keeping my eye on with the offensive line. Is if these next four games they can show. Just wholesale improvement over what they were in the first quarter. Little update in the Marlins and Phillies game. As I mentioned earlier, JT Romayucho hitting a double. Uh, they get out of the inning as Braxton Garrett strikes out Bryson Stott to end it as we now head to the top of the third. Diamondbacks and Brewers will now head to the top of the sixth inning. Brewers lead the Diamondbacks still 2-1. to one. You said the wide receiver room, Tucker, needs to be fixed out of house, or you think that that might be the best solution. One name that I've been seeing brought yeah. up a ton has been Hollywood Brown. Hollywood Brown, obviously a former first-round draft pick playing with Baltimore. Now he's there in Arizona. Arizona, while they do sit at 2-2, two and two, and Joshua Dobbs, give him a hat tip, playing out of his dome right now. I don't think anyone actually believes this is going to be a competitive team the rest of the season. Maybe someone that could be placed on the trade block. That has been a popular name. What do you think of A, Hollywood Brown, and do you have any other considerations of guys that you might want to, uh, to see the Chiefs take a look at? 
I think LeBron would be an interesting one. Um, I, I don't really, I wouldn't know where he would particularly fit in this offense, but he could be definitely a fun piece to to use if you got a, a, a lot of guys with the, that same like style. Uh, one guy that I I always think of, and, and Kent Swanson kind of put this in my head, is a, is a Kyle Pitts, uh, a, a team in the Atlanta Falcons who probably aren't going very much anywhere when it comes to the playoffs this year. Could they sneak in? Yeah. Could they win the division? Sure. Uh, anything can happen in the NFL, but but a team that isn't really using Kyle Pitts all that much. And if uh, Brett Veach wants to call and say, "Hey, um, how you doing down there in Atlanta? We'd love to get uh, get get uh, Kyle Pitts in here." I think that could be very exciting in terms of the tight end play for the future, but. Maybe he could play a little wide receiver. Well, I don't know if you've seen Tucker. Got the big body. Tucker, as a Kyle Pitts owner in Dynasty football, I would a love for him to come to Kansas City. But two, he lines up a lot as the only receiver on on uh, on one side, uh, an absurd amount. I'm sitting here going, Kyle Pitts is going to. He's guarded by a dude who's five nine. Throw him the ball, and then Desmond Ritter is like, you know what I'm going to do? You know what I'm going to do? I'm going to look the other way and throw to Johnu Smith. I think that uh, he should just reclassify as a wide receiver because he would make so much more money as a wide receiver than he would have tied in. Um, but, I mean, if they're going to use him as a wide receiver, I think the Chiefs would. Obviously, the Chiefs would find a way to get him the ball and put him on the field. You're talking about you talk about 13 personnel. That's your 13 personnel right there with him and Noah Gray and Travis Kelsey. I think that that could be a very fun trade. And I know a lot of people are talking wide receivers, and I know the first place I went to was a tight end. But the way that... Andy Reid, it, truly, it legitimately makes me excited to think about what Andy Reid could dial up and Matt Nagy and everybody over there at, at a, on the one arrowhead drive, what they could team up with Kyle Pitts and Travis Kelsey in the same formation and throw, throw some Noel Gray. And Noel Gray's been great this season. He's been he's been good. They've been doing he's been doing what he needs to be doing. Throw him in there on a 13 personnel with, uh, let's just say, Justin Watson as the only wide receiver uh, split out there. I want to see that ski. I want to see, uh, I think they ran a play last year off the top of my head with Jody Fordson. It was like a jet sweep. So they put him in jet motion and then sent him on a wheel route. Man, would I love to see Kyle Pitts run something like that. That would be so exciting. And then when it comes down to it, Travis Kelsey Listen, he's going to retire eventually. You will have Kyle Pitts to then be your tight end. So I mean, it seems pretty. It seems like a pretty great deal to me. T- Tucker, well, well, I don't disagree with the premise, and trust me, I, I, I'm over here just absolutely dreaming about Kyle Pitts playing not only with Travis Kelsey, but post-Travis Kelsey. Again, Kyle Pitts is only 23 years old. He is still very young for a guy who's in his third NFL season. Where I'm a little concerned is, A, I get the Falcons don't use Kyle Pitts, doesn't mean they're not going to want a King's Ransom for Kyle Pitts. That's what it comes down to. Is I don't know how the Chiefs would be able to give up enough draft capital realistically to make this work for the Falcons and work for what the Chiefs are trying to do to build this team going forward. I don't know if there's going to be enough way to make the, or enough uh, leeway between the two teams to make this work. I get Kyle Pitts, then you would have him on a rookie deal for one more season, but he's also going to probably, I get it, I understand what you're saying here, 
but he's still going to come close to resetting the market. I firmly believe that because some team is going to say the Falcons just don't know how to use him. The talent is undeniable. He went over 1,000 yards receiving in his rookie season. This is the Falcons, not Kyle Pitts. Actually, crazy he's in this third season. You said that, and I was like, wait, I thought this was year two. Uh, but no, yeah, he's he is he is young, too, for being in this third year. Uh, I, I just think that maybe I'm I'm probably ahead of my skis here, Sterling. I know I'm, a man can dream about what he wants to see in this, uh, this Andrew Reid offense. Uh, but I do think, I, you're right, it's going to be a big package. It's going to be a concerted uh, choice from Brett Veach and the whole front office staff to say, okay, do we want to push all the chips in the middle of the table for this year? Is this the year that we want to push all the chips in the middle of the table and go out, do something, be aggressive? I think they're going to make a move, whether it's like a super aggressive move or if it's a more conservative move or a move like Canarius Tony, which is a move for the future, right? Remember last year when that happened that everyone was just like, oh, yeah, this will be good for like three years down the road. Like, this will be really good next year. And then he immediately came in and caught like two touchdowns. Like, oh, okay. And so this is how it's going to work. I I, I would be shocked if they didn't uh, do a move at the trade deadline. I'll say that sterling. Okay. Uh, Before I ask you what that move is going to be, a little update in the Brewers and Diamondbacks game. Right now, Brewers actually have two men on, guy on second and third with no outs. Cattell Marte is up at the plate. All right, you brought up Kyle Pitts. I said Hollywood Brown, although I do not want the Chiefs to go and get Hollywood Hollywood Brown. That was just a name that's been thrown around, so I thought I'd be uh, at least throw that name out there, even if I think that's a horrendous move for a guy who's very inconsistent, played 12 games last year, been only over 1,000 yards once in his career. He's on his final year of his rookie deal, and oh, by the way, probably going to want 15 to 20 plus million per year going forward. Yeah, I am all the way out on Hollywood Brown long term. Do you have any other wide receiver you think that might fit Kansas City? I know Mike Evans was kind of thrown out there uh, for a while, but Tampa Bay might look have a pulse in that division. Uh, and, 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 and frankly, Tucker, name. having a pulse might win that He's division. Old. You're very true. You're, I mean, you're 100% right because we just talked about another team in that division that the, the Atlanta Falcons, that if they have a pulse, they might win the division because he's a, he's a stud, man. He will be good. Uh, but talking about Mike Evans, he's a little bit old, on the older side. Chase Claypool, a guy who has been asked to stay home from the Bears. I don't know if the Chiefs would want to inquire about him. Maybe it's an, it would be an interesting uh, interesting try to trade there. or Maybe DJ Moore, if they want to pick from that Bears. Well, how much do the Bears really want to tank for Caleb Williams and both uh, Caleb Williams and uh, Marvin Harrison Jr.? Could they get both of them? That would be quite the grab. That would be quite the haul in the, uh, in the draft. But... There's a couple of, uh, I think those were the other two options that are out there. I'm with you with Hollywood Brown. He doesn't really move the needle for me. He, just because, like, stylistically, too, he's going to have a lot of stylistic, like, those of the same style of wide receiver. I feel like they need a guy like a Mike Evans, who's a, who's a physical guy who can uh, high point balls, who can who can be what, you know, MV, what we thought MVS was going to be. And kind of the same thing with Chase Claypool. He's a different style of wide receiver than, like, an MVS or, or, or that type. But I, 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 think, I think to get, like, multiple styles of wide receiver. We talked about this too, Sterling. I mean, we talk about DeAndre Hopkins is different than any other wide receiver that they have on this roster. Now, I'm not saying Chase Claypool or Mike Evans are DeAndre Hopkins, who still have a whole lot of respect for DeAndre Hopkins, but they're the same stylistically, you could argue. 
So I, I think that that's kind of the way that I want to see them go is like a bigger body. That's why I even bring up Kyle Pitts is I want to see a bigger body uh, type of receiver come in, a guy who can separate, a guy who can make contested catches because that seems like to be uh, the defense and the offense that the Chiefs are running is a very tightly covered offense. Yeah. Uh, before I let you go here, a little heads up. The Diamondbacks just took the lead on the Brewers. They are now up 3-2 to two as Cattell Marte ripped a double two score two. They are now going to break as a pitching change is coming in. Before we throw it to that game, final question for you, Tucker. Do I go to the Mizzou game on Saturday? You brought up LSU. You brought up Clyde Edwards-Alaire. LSU heading to Faroe Field Saturday. 11 a.m. game. Okay, This is a day trip for your boy. Do I make this happen? When you're talking about an 11 a.m. game, you're pretty much talking about going down there on Friday night. No, 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 no. I, I'm not. No, I'm telling you right now. I'm laying out what I'm actually going to do. It'd be a day trip. I'm getting up at the crack of 7 a.m., hopping in the car, driving down, getting there around nine, going to the tailgate. Good got, luck. Yeah. That doesn't sound promising. I'm not a morning Tucker. person, Sterling. I I don't. I'm not a morning guy. I'm really not. Um, hard for me to do that, but you know, with the, with the game day vibes, it makes it a little bit easier. Right, it's got the adrenaline pumping. Got to go out there, support the boys. I get it. Um, I, I do think that the 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 one hiccup you're going to run into is you might stay a little bit later, depending on the result of the game in Columbia <laughs> than you would like. Um, then you might prefer, or or your uh, or your significant other might prefer. Uh, you staying in Columbia? That might be the only hiccup I see. Mm. Is, uh, I can I can look into my fortune teller here. Might end up staying a little bit longer than you want. Okay, great job, Nostradamus over here. I appreciate you, Tucker Franklin. Make sure you follow him on Twitter at Tucker D Franklin. Tucker Franklin of KC Sports Network. Tucker, really appreciate it. I always appreciate you too, Sterling. I'll see you next time. We're gonna throw it right now to the Diamondbacks and Brewers game. Throw it there right now. 3-2. Diamondbacks lead Milwaukee. Welcome again to Sports Radio 810 WHB. Sterling Holmes joined now by Jordan Foote. Make sure you follow him on Twitter at Footnoted, deputy editor of Arrowhead Report and co-host of One Royal Way KCSN again. Phillies lead the Miami Marlins two to nothing, and the Diamondbacks lead the Brewers five to two as the Brewers escaped without any more damage. Foot, how are you? I'm good, buddy. It is one of the uh, best sporting times of the year, I think, and then we'll get a little NBA at the end of the month. So. I'm going well, NFL heating up, and there's uh, plenty to talk about, man. I'm excited to jump on with you. Did you just say heating up because you are a big Heat fan? Was that kind of a little a little uh, allude to Jimmy Butler and his hair, or what was that all about? Hey, look, man, I, this is not a good time to be gloating as a Heat fan. We, we've missed out on Dame, KD, Donovan Mitchell, and Bradley Beal in the past couple years, and Miami is like the team that everyone mentions they want to go to, and Miami gets connected to everyone and has yet to land anybody. But I guess Jimmy Butler is a nice little uh, consolation prize, right? All right, Foot. I will say we're not here to talk NBA. We got a lot of baseball going on right <laughs> now. Uh, I, I do want to talk to you about 
the Royals in particular before we keep everyone updated with the uh, playoff games currently going on. JJ Piccolo says we're going to push forward after a 106 loss evaluation season. Let's start in totality here. 106 losses. No one expected this. Absolutely brutal, yet there are still a few bright spots. Obviously, Bobby Witt Jr., Cole Reagans, uh, Michael Garcia. What did you take away from this perplexing year from the Kansas City Royals? Yeah, it's a weird one, man, because any time a team falls this short of expectations, and it's not like people legitimately thought the Royals were going to be a playoff team, but there were people saying they'd win 75 to 80 games and be somewhat competitive into the later stages of the season, and they just weren't. They, they weren't even close, so they got better in September. Um, I think this year did show that I think they have the right people in place. There were enough positive developments with the hitting. There were enough pitching people that figured things out. The prospect development seemed to come around a little bit. The expected numbers were a lot better than the actual ones, and on top of that, J.J. Piccolo proved multiple times he's not Dayton Moore, and he made some really shrewd moves at the MLB trade deadline, bringing in Nelson Velazquez, bringing in James MacArthur, bringing in um, Cole Reagans, as you mentioned. So it seems like they're going in the right direction. I know things didn't go the way anyone really expected them to this year. Um, I'm not expecting a big-time improvement next year. Maybe they get to – close to 70 wins I think would be a lot more realistic than the 80 to 85 number that was thrown out there. Um, So they did fall short of a lot of things numbers-wise, and at the end of the day, the record is the biggest thing that matters, but it does really seem like most of the processes that are in place are going to end up paying dividends down the road. Yeah, in regards to what John Sherman said last week, the season of evaluation is over. And then J.J. Piccolo this week says again, we're going to push forward. We're not going to wait any longer. We've got to get better. We've got to get deeper with our starting pitching. There'll be a healthy competition in the starting rotation. Also says there may be some other faces in the organization by that time. What all does that mean? Because I don't think people expect them to move on from Brady Singer. Obviously, Cole Reagans is still going to be the guy here next year. And then Jordan Lyles doesn't feel like they're going to move on because of that contract. They did say Chris Bubich and Daniel Lynch, who obviously have been uh, bitten by the injury bug, will have to earn spots next year when healthy. What do you take away from those comments in regards to the starting pitching rotation, what it might look like for Kansas City? Is there a Aaron Nola, a bigger name guy, Lucas Giolito, mm-hmm. Someone like that who might be uh, in the uh, Royals uniform next year. So I would lean right now that they go with, as you mentioned, Brady Singer, Cole Reagans, Jordan Wilde. Maybe Daniel Lynch takes up that fourth spot. And then you've got Angel Zerpa, Anthony Veneziano, Jonathan Bolin, um, Alec Marsh. You can bring in guys outside of that. I think that eventually one or two of those uh, aforementioned players will get some innings anyway. But there's Marcus Stroman out there, there's Martin Perez, there's Alex Wood, and then you have the big dollar names like uh, Jordan Montgomery and Aaron Nola, Lucas Giolito, Blake Snell is going to be a free agent, I believe. So um, they have options on the high end. They also have some mid-tier guys like Jack Flaherty, Michael Lorenzen, Sonny Gray. There are options out there, and I know that some of those names are more appealing (laughs) than others definitely at this point, but 
Um, for a Royals team that Jordan Lyles is going to be pitching no matter what, at least into the first few months of the season, I think. And the Royals can't really rely rely on Brady Singer and Cole Reagans just yet due to durability concerns. It's hard to pencil them in for close to 200 innings. They're more of the 150 variety probably. So Daniel Lynch still fits that same bill. They probably need two arms. And whether one of them is a free agent, one of them is a trade guy, one of them is an external guy, one of them is a young player that steps up, um, they're probably going to end up needing two because starting the beginning of the year with the pitching staff and ending the year with the pitching staff are definitely uh, two totally different things. Uh, I will say really quickly, the Phillies and JT Realmuto just hit an absolute bomb as the Phillies take a 3-0 lead over the Marlins. Um, Jordan Lyles is obviously going to be a name that's going to irritate a, a lot of fans heading into next year. You know, he was 6-17, and but let's be real, wins and losses didn't make a huge difference on this team. It was the ERA of a 6.28. And then you look at the underlying numbers, the strikeouts, the, the walks, uh, the the whip, just everything was not good for Jordan. And then you're like, okay, well, he was brought in to eat a lot of innings. I mean, quite frankly, 177 innings when you're that bad isn't really eating innings. You think he's going to be in the starting rotation next year, barring anything drastic, or do you think there's a legit possibility that the, the Royals will actually eat money and move on? It's definitely possible. And we saw with Hunter Dozier this season that the Royals are not completely immune to just admitting that it's a sunk cost and moving on. Um, but Jordan Lyles did eat up 177 innings. Like that was a sizable amount that was leading the pitching staff. He was worth 0.2 wins above replacement on fan graphs. Like they found value in him pitching those innings. Now I didn't say they were good innings. They definitely were not um, great. And you can probably replace that production with a combination of players and still come out with a, a cheaper product that does pretty much the same. Like it's not hard to find someone that throws a, a six to eight ERA, um, but he did limit walks at a decent rate. The thing is, like you said, though, the strikeout numbers weren't great. He gave up a ton of home runs. He just didn't keep very good control throughout the season. I do think he gets a chance to start the year, whether we're at the end of May and the Royals say, okay, this isn't working, or uh, Chris Bubich is back at the end of June, beginning of July, and they feel like they can flip him for something, or they attach some money to that contract and move him to a contender that just needs a little bit of length out of the, out of the rotation. Um, he might not finish the year in the starting rotation for the Royals, but I definitely do think he's going to start it. Uh, I asked Tucker before you came on, what if what would you tell Royals fans when Carlos Santana was just absolutely struggling here in Kansas City that he'd be batting a few years later in 2023, third in a playoff game? The Royals luck, I guess. Um, <laughs> it's one of those things where, like, if it was any other franchise, he definitely would have been quote-unquote washed up, as people were saying, and writing him off, and it would have been true. But because it's the Royals, they they go on and find other things to, to get tapped into. And I guess Jake Junis had that kind of thing, and Brad Keller might have that kind of thing. The, the Royals just have bad luck when it comes to that. And I think in the past, there was also a lack of the uh, identification slash development. Now I don't feel like that's the case, but 
Santana just a, a Royals curse, and that's the case in point right there. Yeah, he crushed the Royals when they played against him, and then, of course, he comes to Kansas City and does nothing, then leaves, and you look at him this year. And, again, I'm not saying he's great. I'm not saying the Royals should have kept on to him by any means. What I am saying, I just find it funny that all of a sudden here he is, 37 years old, batting third for the Brewers in a playoff game. Uh, J.J. Piccolo did go on to say that he thought the infield was set, praising the improvement in defense. Obviously, a lot of that was Bobby Witt Jr. I mean, Bobby Witt Jr. went from one of the worst, if not the worst, defensive shortstop in baseball last year to this season all of a sudden becoming one of the better defensive shortstops in baseball. That, to me, was a tremendous, tremendous growth from him. Not just the stolen bases, the home runs, the averaged the defense to me was the most impressive improvement for Bobby Wood Jr. And then Michael Garcia, we know, is an absolute wizard at third. Michael Massey there at second. And it looks like obviously Vinny P will take back over at first base. What do you make of the infield going forward? Is this the type of infield you think could compete for a playoff spot, uh, playoff spot given good pieces around them? I think yes and no. Like the third baseman. It's unorthodox. Michael Garcia is not a guy that you would pencil in as a starting third baseman for many teams, but he is really good on defense, and he does have some speed on the base pads. And, yeah, the power is not great, but it is decent for a guy, again, who should be playing shortstop or second base. Bobby Witt Jr., fantastic defensive shortstop. Vinny Pasquantino is going to hit the cover off the ball at first base, get on base a ton. The two question marks I have are second base and I think catcher as well is worth questioning. Um, second base, Massey, he just didn't sell me really on being a reliable hitter. And the defense is fantastic, but they need to have someone compete with him, whether it's Nick Lofton, whether it's a, a trade acquisition. I think the answer is probably Lofton. Give him a chance to uh, get some at-bats and take them from Massey if he doesn't put up at the beginning of the year. And then behind the plate, Albert Perez was secretly, quietly really bad for a big chunk of the season, and he played through some minor injuries. But long-term with the contract, with the defense being questionable, it's worth wondering, hey, is he the guy for the next few years? Is he going to be a part of the next contending core on the Royals? I know he's a fan favorite, but um, they do have three spots definitely figured out, and that's a uh, that's a pretty significant thing. You're, there's questions along the pitching staff, questions in the outfield, but the infield's pretty solid. Jordan Foote joining us right here, Sports Radio 810 WHB. Uh, not baseball related, but what do you think of all of these scary movies? Should they be played on TV or in the box? Because I just got very startled by uh, the Exorcist commercial. I'm on ESPN on my laptop right now, obviously, and all of a sudden I just get that like scary little little kid face that you know what I'm talking about. Uh-huh. I, I don't like that. I, I, I am I am I get startled way too easily. There needs to be a little. Maybe I'm just an old guy now, and I'm just like complaining <laughs> about commercials. But I get scared way too easily to have these exorcist uh, movies popping out on my screen at me. I can't do that. No, dude. When I was a kid, like I absolutely hated scary movies. I was like terrified of them, petrified. I think it's the word you use. There's nothing worse than flipping through innocently, like looking for the sports channel or looking for, you know, the the music channel is what we tune into sometimes as kids, stuff like that, and you get a scary movie on. You're like, oh, my gosh, it's one of those things that, like, you can't look away from, but you also can't look away from quick enough. Like, I don't know. I, I haven't experienced that much as an adult, but 
Um, I definitely understand the feeling. Yeah, sorry, Foot. I'm just Charmin Ultrasoft over here, apparently, that can't handle a scary movie. I get it. I understand this. Uh, what else I, I need some help understanding is the, the Royals look like they have about 12 fourth outfielders, utility yeah. players. Like, this to me, I, I get so tired of the conversation over and over again of, yeah, well, he's a good fourth outfielder. Yeah, well, he, he he's a good fourth outfielder. Oh, oh yeah, <laughs> he, he's, he's a good fourth. The entire outfield can't be fourth outfielders. The entire infield can't be, well, yeah, but he's, he's a good utility guy. He can play three positions, has a decent bat. It's like your entire team can't be made up of Willie Bloomquist. That team is not no. going to do well. I just don't understand this um, phenomenon, if you will. I get it's hard. Who who do you decide to have? Drew Waters, Kyle Isabel. You know who who do you want to have? Michael Massey, Nick Lofton. Like, but at some point you have to find a guy who's a legit guy, not just a utility man. Stop trading for utility guys. It drives me insane. Are you with me on this, or am I a little bit uh, old man yells at cloud here? No, it's a tough situation, man, because they've got NJ Melendez taking up one spot, and then they've got Isbell and Waters kind of duking it out all year for the center field job. The team liked Isbell more coming into the year. I think that Waters showed more, although he definitely wasn't perfect. Um, then you've got Nelson Velazquez. You've got Edward Olivares. You've got um, you've got Nick Prado factoring into that. You've got Deron Blanco. Like, there's so many extra guys and then Tyler Gentry is going to factor into the picture. Nick Lofton has played some outfield in the minor league level. Um, there are a lot of guys to factor in. They could be, like you said, fourth outfielders. If you have, it's like if you have two quarterbacks, you have no quarterbacks. If you have a billion fourth outfielders, do you really have one? Like that's, that's my question. And the Royals were supposed to figure that out this year. They kind of did, but simultaneously when Piccolo says they want to look at an outfield that, that indicates they might not get a ton of looks at those other guys. So how they balance the outfield picture is going to be a sneaky big uh, part of the offseason, I think. How important is it for the Royals to make a decent size move before the uh... – the ballot comes to for for the for the new stadium, right? How important is yeah. it for the Royals to have some momentum? I get it. You're not going to have a lot of momentum when you've lost 106 games. We all know they're not going to probably do a ton at next year. But again, like if you get Jordan Montgomery, that's not moving the needle. Like yeah. Sonny Gray had a great season. You know, if you get Sonny Gray, how many people realize that he had a great year last year. Like an Aaron Nola, I feel like, would get people more excited. Um, mm. Maybe I'm wrong here, but do the Royals really need to go out and make a splash move this offseason for the simple fact that you have to get at least something positive going before you have that uh, um, the new ballpark come up on the ballot? No, I think personally that the best way for them to win people over is to just feel the better team. And like, you have to have good players to do that. So if they do go out and get an Aranola, that would send a message that uh, they are serious about winning more games next season. But it's going to be more of a team effort. People aren't going to completely flip their vote or feel more optimistic about the ballpark if they bring in one guy like Aaron Nola. They'd either have to go on a complete spending spree or like lock up Bobby Wood Jr. long-term or yes. do some really drastic move. The people that are no's probably won't change their mind. The people that are yeses probably won't change their mind. Um, people in the middle, 
they just want to see a better team. And I don't think that one guy is going to greatly change that unless it's like a, a Mike Trout or a Shohei Otani. And we've seen the teams that have had them haven't always done too much. So I think really it's just going to have to be the Royals having collective internal improvement and then maybe a solid free agent class along the outside instead of one big guy. Jordan Foote joining us right here, Sports Radio 810 WHB. Arizona leading Milwaukee 5-2 to two in the top of the seventh. Two outs, runner on first as the Marlins trail the Phillies 3 to nothing. runner on first for the Marlins. But Aaron Nola is actually dealing, of course, as we were talking about him, uh, Aaron Nola is, of course, dealing in a playoff game again. Uh, seeing his sinker do what his sinker does makes me think, okay, yeah. I uh I wouldn't mind having that guy leading the Royals rotation. Uh, in regards to the bullpen, James McArthur had a very nice end to it. We all thought Carlos Hernandez was going to take over as the closer with um, Scott Barlow uh, getting traded, Araldis Ch- Chapman getting traded. That never transpired as Carlos Hernandez got the job and then promptly lost the job. You know, I think the quickest way to maybe hold on to wins, to maybe turn some of those one-loss, uh, those blown saves into holds into wins obviously have a decent bullpen at a minimum what do you think the Royals are going to do here going into next year so they have options absolutely and simultaneously they have a lot of players that you could argue factor into the bullpen rotation like I do think Carlos Hernandez Taylor Clark Jackson Coar, James McArthur maybe a John McMillan a Colin Snyder um, maybe perhaps one or two of the names that I mentioned earlier that don't make it in the rotation end up coming out of the bullpen, but also they have room for a couple signings. You can go after a guy like Michael Fulmer that has experience as a starter, also as a reliever, a buy-low candidate like Archie Bradley, a buy-high candidate. You can go after Shelby Miller, Matt Barnes, uh, Emilio Pagan is out there. I think Ronaldo Lopez is out there. There's so many names that... Some of them are households. Some of them are households that haven't played well. Some of them are classic Royals reclamation projects that maybe there's a Chapman situation. Um, They have to get immediate help, and I think it might not hurt to get a multi-year deal out of this crop, too, and say, hey, we trust the guys we have, but also we want to build a bullpen. This is a bullpen that was like bottom five and home runs allowed and whip and ERA. It just wasn't good, despite some of the bright spots, so... Um, eliminating some of the bad and bringing in a few more bright spots. It doesn't have to be a ton. I think two is probably the magic number. If they get one impact starter and two impact relievers this offseason, I think on the pitching front, that's probably a success. When you look at someone like Zach Grinky, it could have been his last game, and what better way to go out than with a win? He tried giving the ball to uh, to Matty Q, and Q said, hey, man, uh, keep, keep that ball. And so Grinky puts it in his back pocket. Do you think that was his final appearance, not just for the Royals, but in Major League Baseball? Or do you think he might have a role back here next year in Kansas City, maybe not as a starter, but as a as a long reliever, a bullpen piece? You know, this is a guy who I think just loves the sport, loves baseball, loves a competition. Obviously, he's very eccentric, very out there, Grinky is. Do you think he pitched his last game in the majors, or do you think he might be coming back? I think he's done, and I put those odds at like 80-20 personally. I'm not completely writing him off. I do think there's a shot that he comes back 
Um, over his last 10 games, he had a 3.98 ERA. He struck out 31 batters in 40 innings and looked pretty good. He tossed 142 innings this year, even with being a little bit banged up throughout the year. Um, but 39th all-time in Fangraphs wins above replacement, won 225 games, pitched over 3,000 innings, almost hit 3,000 strikeouts. Like, this guy's going to Cooperstown. There's no doubt about it. He is a Hall of Famer, in my opinion. If he comes back, probably going to shift to a bullpen role, and I think that would probably do good for him. To, it might prolong his career in a while in one or two more seasons if he wants to. Um, but when he said he didn't know, I kind of believe him that he doesn't know. Zach Greek, he's the type of guy to not even tell people he's retiring and just fill out the paperwork and send it in or never fill it out. And teams call him and he says, no, I'm not interested. And <laughs> he just kind of rides off into the sunset or could sign the day of spring training beginning for another one-year deal and come back after no communication all offseason. So it could go either way, but from how this season went and how it finished and watching that last start, I'm probably going to say 80-20 that he is done. I see. I I couldn't leave with 2,979 strikeouts. I would need to get to 3,000. Like I know myself. Once I got 3K... I'm pulling myself. I'm retiring on the spot. I don't care if it's the middle of an inning. I'm I'm done. <laughs> but sometimes you see these these numbers, like these historic numbers. And again, you're a hundred percent correct. Zach Greinke is going to the Hall of Fame. He is going. He's a slam dunk Hall of Famer. But some of those those fun numbers that you look at, I knowing Greinke, as much as like he doesn't care about certain things, part of me also thinks he'd be like, you know what? I really want to get three thousand strikeouts. I could yeah. also see see him be like, you know what? I want to get ten save. I'm coming back as the closer. I'm rebranding. Like I could I could just see him doing it for some random number. Part of me thinks Grinky would do that. It, it's hard to count anything out with him. Like he could. You mentioned retiring on the spot. That could be a Zach Grinky thing. He gets number three thousand, and then he comes off the field and walks straight into the clubhouse and takes a shower, changes into his clothes. He's done. Like it, something where if he's done now, it was great. And I, I wouldn't put it past him to call it quits. But also, if he came back and wanted to do uh, a player coach role or wanted to be an advisor for part of the season or work with the guys as a consultant but also pitch or not pitch or call it good but work with the team or stay away from everything and go play golf barefoot, like nothing. <laughs> Nothing can be put past that Greeky, which is why he's such a legend. Jordan Foote, deputy editor of Arrowhead Report and co-host of One Royal Way, KCSN. Foot, always appreciate it. Yeah, thanks a lot, buddy. Uh, before we get a break, Diamondbacks lead the Brewers 5-2 to as the seventh inning just wrapped up. The Phillies leading the Marlins 3 nothing in the bottom of the fifth. We will take a quick break. We'll come back. We'll be joined by David Lesky inside the crown. Sports Radio 810 WHB. Welcome back into Sports Radio 810 WHB. Sterling Holmes joined now by David Lesky of Inside the Crown. Make sure you follow him on Twitter at DB Lesky and make sure you subscribe to Inside the Crown for the best Royals coverage, not just during the season, but in the offseason as well. Lesky, how are you? I'm good. How are you doing? Uh, I'm good, man. I got the whole double screen up here watching playoff baseball. I'm talking to you. 
the Royals, I don't have to watch a single more game this season so I can have false hope about next year. Things are great. Hey, you know what? September gave some false hope, too. So those are good games to watch. Well, like every year, right, Lesky? No. Wow, my God. I'm done. Words <laughs> <to> goodbye. <laughs> Uh, for those listening, it's an inside joke because it's the Mandela effect, okay? Where it, is. it totally is. Lesky did a whole study on this because every single September we sit here going, oh, of course, the Royals do good to end the year to give us false hope. In reality, that's actually very rare. So what happened this September, Lesky, is what? This is different? This is different. And I'm not saying that it necessarily means they're going to be good or anything, but I, I don't remember the exact years. I think 2018... And like 2011 or something are the only two years they've been over 500 in September when they weren't trying to win. Um, and you know that's fine. I, I just it, it, it 2021 they were 12 and 13 I think. So like that's a that's a pretty decent. So that's the sort of September that you go okay. They only need to add a couple pieces I guess. But um, for the most part they don't they don't perform well in any month. Uh, so, and September is no exception. Um, but uh, yeah, I mean, this month, I, I I thought I thought what JJ Piccolo said at his press conference um, was probably not received terribly well. I honestly, I have stopped looking at reactions because there's there's a there's a group of of fans who have decided that Matt Quattrero is terrible. Um, and anything that doesn't mean anything that doesn't end with him being fired is bad, and I, I just can't agree with that. Um, what was he supposed to do, Lesky? I mean, you can only if you're a carpenter and you're given I don't know one of those kids hammers. Like you're like I'm trying to hammer, but it's plastic. Sure he got the kids hammer. He was given like a banana, <laughs> and, and and yeah, I, I agree. And and I mean, part of me wants to say, well, what what. What, what, is, what would you like him to what, what did he not do well? And, and most of the answers are that he didn't show enough fire, which if that's your qualification for a manager, then well, maybe you shouldn't be evaluating managers. Um, <laughs> but, but anyway, my, so what I was going to say is that Polo talked about the last 60 games, and, and, and the quote, the comment that I think has gotten the attention is, that's what I expected this team to be this year, which I don't think is an unfair thing to say, um, because he also spent a good chunk of his time, at least early, saying what happened this year was unacceptable, and it and it will not be something that we look at and say, oh well, again, basically. Um, and and so yeah, I think that I think it's fair to say, look, we they came into the season thinking, hey, this can be a not a good team, but not historically awful. Um, they ended up not historically awful. They ended up awful. Uh, <laughs> they were, they were <laughs> an absolute heater. Okay, they just yeah. let it ride on the blackjack table and or on the uh, roulette table, and that, and they got lucky. <laughs> good for them. I mean, um, but but I think that I think it's fair to say. Look, we were this is what we were expecting, and we're upset that it took a hundred games to get there, but it, it got there eventually, and. And hopefully we can move forward. I think mean, that that's what the point was, and, and and I think that when you look at how they did it, is more important than what they did. I think. Um, I, mean, I said before the season, I, I was I was looking back at some old articles, and 
somebody asked me in a mailbag what what would be a successful 2023 season, and I I gave a win total, and it was 75, I think, which obviously didn't come close to. But um, what I said in that was if they win 75 games because Zach Grinke, Jordan Lyles, Jackie Bradley Jr., you know, if the guys that don't matter just go nuts to get into 75 wins, that's not successful. But if they win 65, which they also didn't do, but Bobby Witt Jr. and MJ Melendez and Vinny Pasquantino have great years, well, then it, it's a different story. Um, and, and the way they were better in the second half of the season, the last month specifically, is with guys who are part of the future, or at least theoretically part of the future. So I think you look at that and you feel a little bit, I don't know about better, but emboldened maybe about that. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I, I think that I think there is something to take from that. I, I don't. I think it's okay for an organization to say, we finish strong and feel good about that, as long as they don't say, so that means we don't need to make any moves, which they didn't say that. I mean, J.J. Piccolo was pretty clear that they are going to look for multiple starting pitchers. They need to rebuild the bullpen and get a bat. I, that, that doesn't sound like a team that goes, hey, we had a good September, so we're good to go. I mean, that sounds like, hey, we had a good September. Now we got to build on that. And I, I appreciate that. Yeah, and that's what I took away, too, for the most part. Part of me was a little um, little concerned that it seems like Jordan Lyles is still going to be in the rotation going into next year. And I get it. He's on a larger contract. I also understand he threw 177 innings. But, let's but also, be- real, quote, real quick, did you think Mike Miner was going to be in the 2022 rotation at this time? Probably because he was still on the team, and then he got traded. Sure, you know, and it, and they may have even said something about that. Uh, I don't remember what the press conference was then. Um, this time last year, or like a month from now, last year, Ryan O'Hearn was going to get big time at Bachelor Royals. They were going to get him playing time. Now I know it's a sore subject right now, but you know, they, then then like two weeks later, he was not. He was DFA. Yeah. So I mean, yes, that's what they said, and yes. It it very well may happen. I mean, I was almost surrendering yesterday, I think it was. Yeah, it must be yesterday. And and he made his point was, hey, they already have two rotation spots they've admitted are open. So they've got to fill two spots before they can fill Lyle's spot. Sure. You know, I I just don't – words are words, actions are actions. All we have right now is our words, yes. So we have to talk about what he said. But I'm I'm really curious – you can fill three rotation spots very quickly with some of the trades that I I, I think they're going to make some moves this winter. And it would not surprise me. MJ Melendez is a guy who I think they're going to trade, and mm. or at least look to trade. Um, and well, I, that was I, my next I, question, by the way, Lesky. So I appreciate that one. I know I'm reading your paper, um, <laughs> <laughs> and 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 so I, I actually um, was was talking to a scout, and I said, "Hey, I've got." I don't do well with trades. I'm a terrible trade evaluator. I'm terrible at making up trades. What do you think of this? And I don't remember exactly who the other pieces were. But how about MJ Melendez for the Yankees for Clark Schmidt? And there were a couple pitching prospects. And he, he responds, he goes, most trade proposals are absolute garbage. He's like, this one's actually pretty good. I like that one. So yeah, something like that. I mean, we saw Clark Schmidt on Saturday in Kansas City um, pitch for the Yankees. I think he gave him a couple runs over four innings. He's not a 
a one, he's not a two, he's probably not a three, maybe not even a four. But the Royals have three starters right now. And so, you know, it, 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 you, can, you can start to acquire starting pitching fairly quickly when, when you get two in a deal. You know, three in a deal maybe. Um, they're not all necessarily big leaguers right now. But to say that, well, they have to fill two spots, they're not going to fill a third. Yeah, right now it looks like that. But I, I don't know. It, it, can, it can change fast. David Lesky joining us right here, Sports Radio 810 WHB. Uh, the Diamondbacks leading the Brewers 5-2. to two. Uh, two guys on base for the, uh, for the Brewers on first and second. Now just one out as Carlos Santana struck out. Yes, that same Carlos Santana. Um, he, was, he was a good player for the Brewers, by the way. I, after they acquired him, he had a good year. I, I've asked everyone who's been a guest on the show so far their thoughts. If I would have said to a Royals fan a few years ago, "Hey, yeah, Carlos Santana in twenty twenty three is going to be batting third on a playoff team." <laughs> well, the Brewers lineup stinks. A, um, but B, I don't know. I mean, he looked. I haven't watched a lot of Brewers games or Pirates games when he was with the Pirates this earlier this year. He looks slimmer. It. He looks like he he, he dropped a few pounds that. Maybe he was okay playing with a few years ago, and then that got got to him a little bit. So maybe, you know, he's a smart hitter. Um, I don't think anybody who watched him in Kansas City would argue with that. Uh, and and I think that he's, he's, a, he's a smart baseball player. I think he maybe has figured out how to, how to lengthen his career by just a little bit. Uh, one of my pet peeves here, Lesky, get into a serious royal subject, is I, I get I find myself getting sick and tired of the you know the Royals have he's a fourth outfielder uh, you know he, he he would be a really good utility player but the Royals have so many guys yeah. that are fourth outfielders and utility players I'm I'm tired of it like I get that Drew Waters uh, Edward Olivares uh, Kyle Isabel hey. You know, they're fourth outfielders. They might be good on some teams. Yeah, this team does not need any more fourth outfielders. Just how they don't need any more utility players. They have enough. There's a plethora. There's a, there's an abundance of these type of guys. At what point do you say you have to decide which one you're going to keep and which one you're going to move on from? Because at some point, this is just overkill. Well, you know, I don't I don't know if that decision gets made between like Isbell and Waters specifically, um, because I. I think that there, Kyle Isbell is good enough defensively, and he showed, in my opinion, enough with the bat in the second half that if you have a good lineup, you can you can win with him playing every day. Um, there's a lot of caveats there, so so let, let's not pretend like that's me saying, "Oh, Kyle Isbell is, a, is the area center for the next ten years." But I, I do think that if you have the lineup that allows him to bat ninth because there are eight better hitters than him, then you're going to be okay. Um, Drew Waters, I don't know. I don't know if his defense is good enough for that. And, and he's got more power than his so there, there's some there, There's overlap in the production, but not, not so much in the skills, I don't think. Um, but I do think that there will be a decision made on Edward Olivares. I think he gets moved. I guess I think Andy Melendez gets moved. You know, going back to that press conference, CJ Piccolo said, "Look, the infield is set." Um, or we have. I don't. I don't know that he. I, I can't remember if he said the infield is set or if he was saying that there's that they feel good about the infield. Which I think Michael Massey is going to be the starter. But I mean, I, I don't think the rope is going to be as long as it was this 
and he he pulled out some from where he start from the hole he started in. But I think if he has another April like he did last year, I think Nick Lawson's playing every day. I just think they like they. I think they feel good about what they have there. Um, but he did say they're 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 going to look at a bat and probably in the corner outfield. Well, let's do the math. <laughs> if you have a center fielder, whether it's Isbell or Waters, I think one of those two is their center fielder next year, probably Isbell. And you like Nelson Velasquez, which how could you not with what he put up after he was acquired? Well, that tells me that. MJ Melendez isn't going to be the left fielder if they're going to go get a corner outfield bat, right? I mean, if there's one corner outfield spot and you have a pretty good idea that it's Nelson Blasquez and the other one, where does Melendez go? Probably to another team. And I, and I think Edward Laveris, I think he has more value to this team than, as a trade piece than as a player on the team. And I think that he goes too. And, you know, those are, those are two of the deals I think happen, or at least. I think they do happen, and they're going to they're going to push for them. I, you know, takes two teams to make a trade, so sometimes three. So maybe maybe there's nothing there. I don't. I think there will be something, but um, yeah, I agree. They 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 really should only have one fourth outfielder. Um, I think that that that's that's all you need on a team. Um, to be honest, Dyron Blanco might be the best of the bunch of the fourth outfielders. <laughs> um, but yeah, I think I think they're. I think they're going to have to make a decision. And, you know, to be fair, somebody mentioned this, and I can't remember the exact number, but I looked at the 26-man roster from, um, I think it was last opening day, which is a long time ago at this point, 324 games ago. Um, And there were like 12 players on the roster at the end of this season that were on the 26-man. Maybe it was 14. That's a pretty big turnover. They're they're churning through guys. They are. They are and some of it's injury, you know, Vinny Pascantino, Chris Bubich, Daniel Wentz, those guys. But um, they are they're churning through guys at a much higher rate than they did before. Uh, the Diamondbacks right now leading the Brewers five to two, but bases are now loaded. Only one out in the bottom of the eighth. The Brewers need to win this game to keep their playoff hopes alive. The Diamondbacks, surprisingly, at least in my opinion, winning that first game. And uh, then you also have the Phillies over the Marlins. Phillies lead three to nothing in the bottom of the sixth. Runners on first and second after a Bryce Harper walk. No outs in that one. Uh, by the way, Lesky, I don't know if you saw this. I. I Doubt, doubtful you did. Uh, I get my baseball prediction for the playoffs, and let's go ahead and say I'm already done. I'm toast. I had the yeah. Tampa Bay Rays winning the World Series. Well, that's <laughs> not going to happen uh, as the Rangers close that out in two games. I had to- I Blue Jays. So we're both, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I, I, the Blue Jays moving on. Uh, but no, the Twins have ended their 20-plus year uh, streak of not moving on in the playoffs. They won in two games, uh, winning 2-0 two, two, over the Blue Jays. Uh, Philly's looking pretty good here. But I also have the Brewers not looking good for the Brewers as they are down, not only in this game, but in the series. How hard is it in a three-game sample size to determine who the better team is? Seven game, much better. Five games, tough. Three games seems nearly impossible. Well, let me ask you this. Um, two weeks ago, I think it was now, the Royals welcomed the Astros to – no, no, the, the Royals went to Houston. And um, they were playing an Astros team that was fighting for their playoff lives. They, I mean, they, the Astros easily could have missed the playoffs. What happened in that series? Uh, yeah, they, didn't they sweep them? 
Yeah, the Royals swept the Astros. Are the Royals better than the Astros? Uh, apparently, the Royals should be in the playoffs. <laughs> yeah, exactly. No, I mean, look, a, a three-game series gives you nothing. The, the A's won a series over the Braves earlier this year. Like, I I appreciate that it's no longer a one-game playoff because there's even more variance in a single game. But if 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 anybody wants to take anything from two games of baseball, stop. <laughs> there, there, there's just there's just no there's nothing to be learned from two games of baseball ever, ever. There's nothing to be learned from three games ever. I mean. Yeah, sometimes the better team is going to win. Sometimes the, the, the better team is not going to win. I, you know, whatever. But there's nothing to be learned from this. And that's not to say that the playoffs don't matter. Because they do. Obviously they do. But a three-game series, anybody can win two games. Anybody can win two games in a three-game series. And, you know, I, I don't I, – I had a problem with the expansion of the playoffs because I think it dilutes the field. But I, what I didn't think about was there are there are eight of the twelve teams that are now subjected to a three game series, and a three game series doesn't help you decide who's the best team to move on. Again, I don't know what the answer is. There's probably not an answer, but there's nothing to be learned from that. Absolutely nothing. <laughs> uh, I will say the Diamondbacks got out of that inning. The Brewers leaving the bases loaded. A fielder's choice to the pitcher. He went home. And then you see a fielder's choice from, um, who was that? I believe that was Willie Adamas. So uh, not good for the Brewers at home. Their playoff uh, their playoff life right now is on life support. Phillies, again, still looking good against the Marlins. Heading back to the Royals, just again talking more about J.J. Piccolo in that press conference. How much do you like the honesty? The I can't sit here and say I think 24 is the year that will definitely win the division. Piccolo says they want to win 80-85 to 85 games, uh, saying they don't believe we're a 106-loss team, but our record is what it is. We can't run away from that. Um, what do you make of just some of the, the honesty from J.J.? Well, I mean, it's not the first time we've heard that from him. Um, I mean, Dayton Moore, for years, was always trying to convince everybody that this is the year. And 2021 is the year. Going to go out and get Mike Miner and Carlos Santana to supplement this core, you know. And then it wasn't the year. And, you know, I think that there's um, something refreshing in a not great way because you don't want to see them lose, but in a way that J.J. Piccolo knows where they are. And, and maybe Dayton Moore knew too and just didn't want to say it out loud. That's fine, whatever. But I appreciate, I appreciate the honesty about it all. I, I think that, that that's, you're not going to build a winner if you're not honest about where you are. Because you have to know. You have to be able to say, we're not going to do this and that to, to jeopardize the future for a season where we're going to win at most 80 games. Like, that's just that's being smart. Um, so I appreciate that. I also, honestly, I really appreciate just kind of laying out the plan and the expectation. Um, he very easily could have said, look, we're going to win more games in, in 2024. We're, it's plain and simple. We are going to win more games or we will have failed. Could have said that, and I, so that's, that's a nice statement. But the reality is you make that statement and you win 58 games and you made good because you won more games. <laughs> and, and that's just not enough. Um, 
But for him to go out, and, and maybe he regrets this today, uh, maybe he regretted it at 11 a.m. <laughs> after he said it, but to say 80 to 85 wins, that puts an expectation that then is almost an open invitation to people like you and me, Joe Blow on, on Twitter, you know, anybody in the stands to say, you didn't do that, you failed. That holds them accountable, and that's a level of accountability that the Royals didn't invite for, for way too long. And, and I think that to say that, I, I, I appreciate that. And I appreciate him saying, we need to get starting pitching, and we are going to go after starting pitchers, and we are going to rebuild the bullpen. Because then if he doesn't do that, if they don't do that, then they can be held accountable in a way that they've never been able to be held accountable before. That's not to say that you couldn't criticize because they didn't, oh, well, they didn't say they were going to win this many games, so we can't criticize them. No, but this this sets something up that is a, a tangible goal to reach. I mean, in, in, in the real world, you set up these key performance indicators, and if you don't reach them, you did not succeed. And now they've set up KPIs. And, you know, I, I think that – I. I think that's a good thing. Uh, I do want to say a good thing just happened in this Phillies game. Uh, Bryson Stott with a Stott shot hitting his first ever career Grand Slam, and the Phillies wow. go up 7-0, a Grand Slam. It was absolutely bombed to right center field. The Marlins right now are imploding, looking like if everything holds true, uh, we are now going about to head to the top of the seventh. Phillies are leading 7-0 over the Marlins. Man, this Phillies team right now they're they on a, they, they look they good, good man they're on a heater um and, and i was joking going into this i say a lot a lot of times I like to pick teams that are um the bat skills they're they're able to put bat on ball right mm-hmm. i'm like i don't know how much i feel about a kyle schwarber in the playoffs i know he's had a good playoff career but you know all those strikeouts batting a buck 97 uh, and of course schwarber's obviously having a great game looks like i'm an idiot and it doesn't matter and the phillies and teams <laughs> that hit bombs just do that because you look at tampa bay uh they go scoreless uh, you look at the blue jays uh they go scoreless um you know what how can you not not be romantic about baseball, Lesky? How can you not be romantic about it? You have to be. You have to be. Yeah, I mean, Phillies have a tough test next. They have the Braves, right? They don't because they don't recede. Um, not that it matters. Be, well, no, it does matter because the Diamondbacks look like they're going to win too. I think it's going to be it's Phillies, Braves, and Diamondbacks, Dodgers. Um, by the way, we had two straight days of baseball, playoff baseball from two central to. You know, 9.30-ish. We're not going to have a single game tomorrow, it looks like. That's, that's so sad. We only have one more day, one more day this season that is guaranteed to have four games in one day. Mm. Why and that's Saturday. But, but Lesky, why do they do these 2 o'clock games? Like, I get it's really fun to, to dunk on Tampa Bay for their fan base. And, hell, I, I will admit I dunked on them as well. You know, having 19,000 fans for a playoff game, that's brutal. I understand all the thoughts of, you know, it's Tropicana, it's it's uh, in St. Petersburg, it's not a great – this, that, and No, no, they, they lost that when they said they're going to build near that site. When the Rays complained about being in St. Pete, and then said, our new stadium is going to be in St. Pete, you lost all credibility. You can no longer complain about the location because you're now choosing to build there. So, no, I don't buy that even. (laughs) Well, okay. 
That's fine. The point still remains. 19,000 fans at a 2 o'clock game. What is baseball doing putting games when people are at work? It's tough for the average person to watch these games in general. You're trying to grow the brand, and you're putting playoff games on you know, around lunchtime. Well, for the record, I read this, and I, don't, I did not verify this, but I believe I saw that the, the Rays' previous Tuesday afternoon game that they played a few years ago in front of fans drew like 37,000. So, first of all, they've drawn before in that time. Um, I agree. Playoff baseball, midweek, mid-afternoon is tough. I, I don't envy MLB in this because they don't want to have games, you know, on, on the, I mean, they're, they're on the same time. They, they want to have games starting staggered. So what do you do? I don't know. I don't know what the answer is. Um, but yeah, I think, I also think it's somewhat funny that I, I counted the Royals drew at home more than the Rays drew today. 17 times in the the Royals drew more in a 56 and 106 regular season than the Rays drew today 17 times. Oh. I I don't care. Well, what there. bobbleheads were given were, were being given also, away? That, that matters. Like, if it's sure. a, if it's a, if it's a like, Gordon bobblehead, come on. There was Lorenzo Cain day. It was Ned Yost day. I mean, there there so there was some obvious. I'm not I'm not saying there weren't reasons for people to go out, but <laughs> you're in Florida. Who works in Florida? You're all retired. Hey, have you golfed in Florida, though, Lesky? That sand is nice. I know you don't want to be in the bunker, but you you play out of Florida bunkers. You're sitting here going, you know what? I don't want to go to Florida. Period. But I forgot you, know. you hate Florida. You have this weird obsession with it, or should I say, I weird, know, obsession, weird obsession, aversion. I don't like, I don't like to. Uh, have a swamp in my shorts just from walking outside. David Lesky inside the crown. <laughs> Follow him on Twitter at DB Lesky. I can't let you get out like that, so I'll ask one final question for you. Uh, you did a great article on Into the Crown, digging into the Royals' payroll situation. Um, you don't have to get everything uh, uh, just out into the open right here, because if people want to read it, they definitely should at Inside the Crown. Make sure you go there. But just a rough estimation, what do you think the Royals' payroll situation is looking like heading into next year? Well, as of right now... Um Guaranteed contracts, arbitration estimates, and pre-arb guys, they're at about $75 million. Um, they were at $92-ish million this year. I, I have heard over the past couple of years that they could have gone to 110 115 I would anticipate that could be 120 125 moving forward into 2024. So without any moves, they've probably got 45 to $50 million. Um, You start to make some trades. Like MJ Melendez is... So he's not going to save much money. But Salvador Perez is a guy who can get moved. We didn't talk about that. Um, but I think Salvador Perez can get traded. They're not going to trade all $20 million, But I could see them needing half the contract. And so then you, you're okay. Well, now they went from 45 to 50 to 55 to 60. Um, they've, they've got some money. Anyway. They've, they've got some money to play around with. I, you know, it's tough to get free agents to, to a bad team. They pay the bad team tax. Mm-hmm. And and you've got that extra year, you've got some extra money on it. it it's a difficult proposition, um, but they should have some cash to wave around, and that's that's at least a good thing. Wave your cash around, and make sure you subscribe to Inside the Crown. David Lesky, again, the best Royals coverage out there. I'll say it, Lesky. I'm in your corner, pal. 
I, I'll listen to it. I read your articles every morning when I'm drinking my coffee. Whilst I'm drinking said coffee, I used to read just paper newspapers every single day because, Lesky, as you know, I'm an old man. Even when I was 12, I'm sitting here. I had my spectacles, my bifocals on, drinking black coffee and smoking Marlboro Reds while I'm reading while a newspaper. The bathtub, right? you know, I'm in the bathtub, of course. Of course yeah. I'm in the bathtub. And then I get my smoker's jacket on. But now we have the Internet and we have emails, and with that, I read your articles on Inside the Crown. So make sure you subscribe to Inside the Crown. Follow me on Twitter at DB Lesky. Lesky, always a pleasure. It always is. Thanks, Sterling. Take a quick break. Come back. Sports Radio 810 WHB. Sorry, Jim. We're actually going to take it back here to Sports Radio 810 WHB here in Kansas City. I can't believe it, man. Diamondbacks beating the Brewers, and they move on. An 84-win team. 84-win team. They had to face Corbin Burns, who I will admit has had a little bit of a down year, but Corbin Burns is still Corbin Burns. Freddie Peralta, who is typically nails for five innings. He was for, what, four innings in this game before, as they mentioned, gave up a home run to young Alec Thomas. It unraveled from there for the Brewers. They were not able to score enough runs, only scored two. This Diamondbacks team is relatively young, but they do have some pieces of experience, right? Like, your best player is Corbin Carroll, right? Corbin Carroll, young up-and-comer. If you don't know that name, make sure you make note of the name, Corbin Carroll. Uh, Alec Thomas out there in center field. But then you have some veterans. Like, Cattell Marte has been around a long time. He's been with the Diamondbacks a long time. Tommy Pham bounced around, but he's been on a plethora of playoff teams, right? Christian Walker, I don't know if you would call him young, but he, he's been there now a little bit in, in Arizona. Then you have guys like Lourdes Gurriel Jr. You know, he's been in the playoffs before with the uh, Toronto Blue Jays. Uh, although I will say he's probably pretty glad right now he's in Arizona, not Toronto, huh? Probably pretty great, pretty, uh, pretty glad he's a uh, Diamondback and not a Blue Jay. Yeah, he's moving on. He's moving on. Blue Jays going home. But then also a surprising name, Evan Longoria. Evan Longoria, third baseman at 37 years old for the Arizona Diamondbacks. I'll admit, I forgot. I had no idea he was a Diamondback. Frankly, I thought he was out of the league. He turns 38 in three days. I still remember him. Was it as a rookie? It was when he was really young, and he hit that home run. Was it it was either against Boston or New York? That one that just barely got out in left field in 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 Tampa. If if I'm remembering correctly, right? That was the the for me. That was the home run that started this Tampa Bay playoff consistency. It's not a dynasty. you got to win a championship to be a dynasty. But Tampa Bay's had this run of success. And to me, it was always jump-started off the bat of that Evan Longoria home run. Was it 2009? 2008 ALDS Game 1. 2008. 15 years ago, Evan Longoria still getting it done. The normal third baseman was former Royal Emmanuel Rivera. Surprisingly, Emmanuel Rivera turned back into, well, Emmanuel Rivera, the same guy he was here with the Royals. And they thought, you know what? 
Let's bring in a 37, almost 38-year-old third baseman to get it done. It was enough. Diamondbacks move on. Tall task ahead as they face the L.A. Dodgers. I will say that Diamondbacks, they're not the 14 Royals. But some of the similarities, I think, some of the parallels you can make are there. You have decent starting pitchers. Zach Gallen, really good year. Zach Gallen's been been great, right? Got Zach Gallen. Um, Ginkle's been really good out of the bullpen for them. And they, they, they traded and got Paul Sewald. Like, they have a good bullpen. They have their young studs. Corbin Carroll, Alec Thomas, uh, McCarthy's actually injured. McCarthy's going to miss uh, at least the Dodgers series most likely, so that's not great. But they also supplemented with those veterans, as I mentioned. Lourdes Gurriel, Evan Longoria, and then some of the guys who've been there a while now, Cattell Marte and Christian Walker. They mentioned it at the end of that broadcast. Sometimes you don't know what you don't know. Corbin Carroll hasn't been in the playoffs. Slashed 571. He was the, the table setter for that team. Alec Thomas, young guy, hit a home run that set in motion the comeback as they were down 2 nothing. They were getting no hit. Alec Thomas, the young center fielder, filling in for McCarthy, was the guy that got it going. Remember 14? The Royals at that point were the team that everyone kept saying, you don't know what you don't know. You don't know you're supposed to lose. The Diamondbacks were supposed to lose this this series. They weren't supposed to make the playoffs. They weren't supposed to beat the Brewers. Does that continue against the Dodgers? Remains to be seen. But I'm not going to lie. I will be rooting for the Arizona Diamondbacks against the Dodgers. I like seeing these teams who very rarely make the playoffs get a shot and make some noise. I mean, the Diamondbacks haven't been consistently good since what? Luis Gonzalez was out there in left field? What, was Richie Sexton on that team? Remember Richie Sexton? I, I hear you laughing back there. Wasn't Richie Sexton at one point? Yeah, I can't believe I remember that. Yeah, I can't believe you pulled that out. That well, hey, awesome. if you if you need a uh, what's that game? Immaculate Grid. He played one year for Arizona. How the, how the hell did I know <laughs> he he played twenty three games for Arizona in two thousand four? My brain's a weird thing. I can remember Richie Sexton playing 23 games for Arizona in 2004. You ask me what what I have on for work tomorrow. I'm like, dude, I don't know. No idea. But you guys remember when Richie Sexton played a couple games for Arizona in 2004? Because I do. But I like this Diamondbacks team, man. They're fun. it's, It's fun watching these teams with these franchises who have struggled, right? It's fun seeing them get an opportunity and go on. By the way, Madison Bumgarner is a Diamondback, but he has been injured pretty much his entire tenure there. So uh, I d- doubtful 
We'll he, see him make a uh, roster right now. Yeah, so. doubtful. We'll see Madison Bumgarner come in for the uh, heroics in the playoffs. But of course, a, a Bumgarner team make a noise in the playoffs. I do feel slightly bad for Brewers fans. Ninety-two wins, can't seem to get over the hump. Christian Yelich again putting up big numbers in the playoffs, uh, and yet nothing to show for it. Uh, Phillies right now leading the Miami Marlins seven to nothing. We will take a quick break right here. Sports Radio eight ten WHB. Welcome back into Sports Radio 810 WHB. Again, I am Sterling Holmes. Kyle is behind the glass. We just saw the Diamondbacks moving on as they beat the Brewers. They win that series 2 to nothing. The Phillies looking good right now. We will get to that game once they come up in the bottom half of the eighth inning. But right now, Phillies leading the Miami Marlins 7 to nothing. Looking good there. Uh, other games in Major League Baseball. The Texas Rangers. They move on with a 7-1 victory over the Tampa Bay Rays. Uh, which, by the way, can they go back to the Devil Rays now? Tampa Bay rocked those jerseys, the throwbacks, back when uh, B.J. Upton, you know, remember those B.J. Upton era, Carlos Pena era jerseys? Those were sick, right? Those were awesome. I, I'm in favor. I'm in support of that. Yeah, bring, the, bring those back. Rocco, Baldel- Rocco Baldelli. Rocco Baldelli? Man, I'm struggling to say his name. But also, do you know what B.J. Upton, what that stood for? Oh, I used to. His first name's Melvin, yeah, by the way. Yeah. His, his brother, yes, is Justin. His name was Melvin. Melvin Upton went by BJ Upton. Do you know what the BJ stood for? Uh, not without cheating. Once you say it, I'm going to be mad at myself. Boss Man Jr. <laughs> yeah, Boss Man Jr. Yeah. Imagine being named Melvin and going, you know what? Call me BJ. Well, hey, hey, why, why call you that, Melvin? Boss Man Jr. now. <laughs> How do you earn a nickname like that? I, I, I'm just saying. You get that at a young age? You got it. Yeah, what's up, Boss Man? So? You know, yeah. someone call you. But maybe your dad was Boss Man. Mm. So now you? Boss Man Jr. Boss oh, Man Jr. Crack the case. But the Rays need to get back to those jerseys. That, that that was my main point here. Those were great jerseys. But the Rangers move on. They win that series two to nothing. Rays going home. Ninety nine wins in the regular season, zero in the postseason. Uh, now Toronto, they are going home as Minnesota wins two to nothing. Minnesota, congratulations. I know the AL Central. I get it. The Royals rivals. Got to be happy, though. Those fans have endured a lot not winning a playoff game, let alone a playoff series in over 20 years. So shout-out to the Twins for moving on. We are going to head to Philadelphia as they lead 7 to nothing. This is the bottom of the eighth inning. <laughs> 